You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Greetings, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to be taking a journey into the four stages of growth that a small business is going to go through to get to be a big business. And my guest is a very special friend and colleague. His name is Lane Sloan. Lane, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Doug. Well, this is something we've been uh, noodling on for quite some time. We've, uh, Lane and I have known each other seven or eight years, and uh, we have uh, strategized about this from time to time. I am a big fan of this model that he advocates, and I find myself in times past talking about this when I talk to business owners, but I was never quite as succinct and articulate in, in breaking it out and defining it the way Lane does. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into this. I think it'll be a big help to business owners out there. Lane, before we get into the weeds on that and some of those details, I always like to ask people to share a little bit of their journey and background to get to where you are right now. Well, it's because of that background that I think I could develop this four-stage <laughs> business model. But uh, I was a, a high achiever. I, I don't know that's in vogue these days, but uh, I got four different degrees. I got a undergraduate in organizational behavior and marketing from the University of Colorado. Uh, stayed around to get a master's in quantitative management science. And my minor was in management and strategy. And uh, while I was working with Shell, which we'll talk about a little bit more, um, I ended up getting a uh, master's degree in accounting and at the time picked up the CPA along the way and uh, got put in the treasurer's organization in Shell. And so I hadn't had much uh, finance uh, and ended up getting a, uh, I was starting to get a PhD in finance, but uh, fin finally got an MBA in finance. So I got an educational background that I think is pretty broad and, and comprehensive. Uh, the second part of my equation is I always wanted to be in senior management of a large company. That was my goal when I got out of college. Uh, I ended up joining Shell. I spent 30 years with Shell. I feel really good about those 30 years. Half of them was in executive management. I had a role uh, as the chief financial officer for Shell Oil. I was the head of or the CTO of the IT organization as well, headed up purchasing and that sort of thing. So I did a lot of kind of rounded things in Shell Oil, but I also went overseas with World Dutch Shell and uh, I ran the Far East. I was called a regional coordinator for everything out of the Far East. And uh, then I ended up uh, going into the chemical organization and became the uh, chief, uh, you know, CEO for a Shell Chemical here in the United States. And after 30 years, I thought, hey, I want to go do some other things. I always wanted to be a teacher. So I went out to the University of Houston and I taught my two favorite things. I had an undergraduate class in strategy, corporate strategy, 
And then I had a uh, MBA class that was in leadership, strategic leadership. A lot of fun. I, I enjoy teaching. Hopefully, I won't come across too much that way today. But uh, <laughs> no. it, it is a uh, you know something that I particularly enjoy. And I worked for some other companies along the way. SAIC, I ran their energy practice, uh, Scientific Applications International Corporation. I also um, was the CEO of small little startups. I've consulted uh, for a number of years since about 2000 when I retired. And, and initially it was big business, but uh, uh, as we kind of progressed along, I found a lot more fun with small business. <laughs> you know, big business, you got a big ship and you got to kind of, you know, move right. slow. Right. Uh, small businesses are, you know, they just uh, rapid fire, a lot of things going on. You can make a difference. Right. And, uh, so anyway, um, most of my efforts today are consulting. And uh, a lot of it uh, is with smaller businesses trying to help them grow. And so it's part of that process that led to uh, the four-stage growth model. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, part of me, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't even know where to begin with all that, uh, that resume. And, uh, you know, congratulations on an incredible journey. Um, I was, I felt pretty well done after getting my MBA. I thought, okay, I don't need to grace another college campus anywhere, <laughs> but, uh, kudos to you for all of that and, and the work in it. So where exactly did this formulation of your four stage growth model, where, where did that start bubbling up for you? Well, there's several things that kind of brought it about. Um, I was a part of a roundtable program, and so I ran several roundtables. And I got to see a lot of different uh, companies at different points in kind of what I'll call the stages of, uh, you know, a small business. And uh, what was interesting was a number of those, uh, you know, in, particularly in the early stages, were not well organized, didn't have things really thought through. And so there was a book, uh, Traction, if you know, by uh, Gina Wickman. And uh, it really kind of laid out a whole operating system called EOS. Right. And I tell my folks, say, this is a good way. Take a look at this. And, you know, it's going to give you a lot of kind of insight and running the business, particularly, you know, if, if you don't have a business type background. And uh, what I ended up finding was uh, they did really fine on, on what I call the short term. And, and the book is really more oriented towards short term and not so much on the long term. And I thought, boy, you know, the unfortunate thing is if you can't kind of see where you want to go, it's hard to get there. Right. So um, that that gave me the view that, uh, hey, watching these folks, they're really going through stages. I could see, you know, some that were just very small, under a million dollars, others that were growing, but still had a lot of areas to work on. And then some that were about taken off, you know, they were they really had things well put in place and about $10 million or so in revenues. Uh, and then those who had taken off and were expanding, but weren't quite yet a mid-sized business. They were under 50 million. So that kind of gave me the thought that if you're visioning, you got to be able to tell people this is where we're going. And folks have a heck of a difficult time to vision where they're going. I mean, a vision basically describes what you're going to look like. 
And so I thought, well, if I can build this four-stage model to give people a sense of what they would look like in the different stages, that would be very helpful for them to grow. You know, I'm here, but I need to go there. And these are the things that I need to do. So they could vision each stage and move along in that way. So I thought that'd be pretty powerful and got a lot of good feedback in that regard. So that was kind of the early genesis of why put it together. Yeah. Well, as I alluded to, it really resonated with me the first time I heard you describe it because I've got my own background from banking, as a lot of my listeners know. And one of the things I talk about is the uh, the process of observing my client companies back in my banking days go through these stages and either they successfully transition to the next stage or not. And, and it was the or not that was sad to me as I watched some companies who had achieved what anybody would agree is, is reasonable success at the stage they were in, but then they just, for whatever reason, couldn't make the pivot or the, the, the growth step to the next stage. But I, I agree with you. I think part of it had to do with the knowledge and, and the visioning of what that next stage needed to look like and be prepared for and understand some of the choices, decisions, and steps they needed to make to get there. Because, you know, one of the, one of the classic things I think entrepreneurs get stuck on, if they get inspired to go out and start a business and they try to do some research and understand what it means to be a business, they're going to find some books that show these growth curves, you know, oh, you know, you're going to start here and you're going to go here and it's all going to, and most of them always are this nice, smooth, sweeping line and reality is just not that at all. Growth in small business comes in giant, sometimes painful stair steps. And if you're not looking at that properly, number one, it's a big shock. You feel like you've hit a big wall because you've hit that, that, upward part of the step that you need to make. So let's get a little specific again. Let, let's first lay out your four stages. What, what does each one mean? Well, I'll do that, but uh, let me start off by saying not everybody needs to go to the different stages. You know, if you've got a lifestyle business, you're comfortable with that, no problem. Right. The only right. little warning I give people is if you're not growing, you're dying. You know, so it, it's the process of keeping you excited, if you will, if you're moving up the stages. Right. Uh, which you don't find in big companies because they're, they're so large uh, that you don't see that, uh, what should I say, excitement about being able to achieve, you know, the next level. Right. right. Four stages I, I really put into uh, first developing. And these are folks who, you know, they they got their business idea, they're off the ground, they're start, starting to sell, um, but they're finding it, you know, it's it's challenging on on that development stage because who are my customers? How am I going to satisfy them? Am I going to have enough money, you know, for myself and to keep the thing going? Um, so it's a bit of a challenging stage. And generally, I I use revenue as a criteria, and I'll come back to kind of the different criteria in a moment. But revenue, if you're under a million dollars, you're probably in that developing stage. You just don't have enough to kind of really, you know, push you forward. 
So it's a challenging stage. Sustainability is key. Watching your expenses, finding any customer, you know, is kind of exciting. Then the next stage is, no, you be, you've got some customers now and you've got a better handle that it's not just what you thought your offer should be, but you've got feedback from the customers. And so you've, you've shaped your offer to fit more what the market is really looking for. And so I call that the growth stage. So people are coming on board. Your organization is getting bigger. Um, you know, you're seeing uh, customers that are starting to ask you, what, what else could you do for me? That sort of thing. So you got a little expansion in terms of what your uh, value proposition is. And uh, you're thinking about other things. You know, you're maybe out of plan. Because back on the, you know, development stage, there's not the planning, it's just firefighting, you know, let's just get, if we can, you know, some dollars in the door, you know, is all it, it is about. Whereas in the growth stage, you're doing some thinking, you know, maybe what should we, you know, watch our dollars a little bit, put together maybe a budget, try it out, that sort of thing. So there's some planning that goes on. You begin to recognize because you've got more people together, hey, organization, even though it may not require a chart, people have to know who's doing what and why. You know, so you, you work on that part and the processes, you know, come in. How are we going to, you know, create our service or our product and so forth? So that growth stage, um, you you know you don't know everything, but you're it's starting to feel a bit fun, you know, because uh they're just, it's more than firefighting. You're beginning to see some things get a little traction. Now, after a while, uh, you've got a lot more organization going on. You've got maybe even a leadership team that you've developed. It's possible you even got an HR manager, you know, that's with you. Um, surprisingly, now the customers are pulling you. They're not just asking, they're pulling you. And so your value proposition, you know, is clearly getting shaped. Um, you're watching your competitors, um, you know, you're thinking about how, how I can create a value proposition better than theirs, and you're just more thoughtful, you know, and so the planning part of that really starts to take over. And then and one I'll come and talk a little bit about, because you heard I taught leadership and strategy, and I like that. Um, when you ask somebody in the development stage, where are you on leadership? You know, what do you think about it? You just get this blank stare. What do you, you know, leadership? Uh, first off, they don't have an organization. So what am I really leading? But two, why is that important? By the time you're in the takeoff, they clearly know that leadership is probably the main catalyst that's causing the success. So not only a leadership team, but trying to develop their leadership, which is why coaches, you know, really have fun at that stage. And then when they are able to accomplish takeoff, usually the revenues are going from like 10 to 20. I mean, you know, it's it's a big shift they're taking off. Neat things are happening. But once that occurs, then you get into the fourth stage, which is expansion. You know, we've got this thing down now, you know, let's keep building on it, but the building is tending, you know, to either bring in some new customer base or geography, you know, spreading uh, where you do your business. In the expansion stage, uh, you do a lot of revamping in it. You know, it may sound like, oh, no, that's not hard. But I mean, if you're trying to get up to, say, 40, 50 million, you find your processes will need some reworking. You're going to have to hone the organization. Your leadership is not 
so easy because the organization is big enough that people deeper down are having questions and, you know, how do you motivate them? And so culture and all of those kinds of things really become, they're important in the takeoffs. They're important anytime, but, you know, they get important in takeoff, but they get very important in expansion and that sort of thing. But by the time they've hit about 50 million, I'm saying, hey, you're in the mid market now. You know, you've kind of passed out of it. Um, you're still going to plan. You've got big planning systems. You're going to lead. You're going to do all the different kinds of things that you look at in the earlier stages. But it's just a different thing, you know. Right. So that's roughly you know, the big picture of uh, the four stage growth model. Yeah. So as as people are sitting here listening to this, <clears throat> I, I I think they can probably easily do a quick assessment and decide where they are, and you should be able to immediately see some of the challenges that may come to mind when you go through and advance these different stages. And so if you have made it past that development, you're in that um, growth stage and and you know, really trying to see some things happen. Sometimes what I see is with with money flowing through the process, if if the owner hasn't begun figuring out formalizing some of their control systems or their reporting process, cash flow can get out of whack really fast. You get excited about the big check you got in your hand and you say, oh, now I can go get that new piece of equipment or that new truck or that new uh, expansion to my office space. And, and but if you've got payroll on Friday, you better <laughs> you better know your know your numbers so that you're protecting yourself from those kind of shortfalls, because Again, reflecting on my banking days, I, I put a name on the conundrum that I saw. I called it the paradox of success. Certain degrees of success spawn new problems that the founder owner may or may not have the capacity to deal with properly. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, one of the interesting things I found, though, is you know, when I got the idea, hey, this is really a set of stages. Um, I went on the internet and, you know, went back and looked at some of my books and all that. And there are plenty of people who've tried to put together models. So this is not like it's a new phenomenon. Right. They, some of the names are similar to what I've used and others are different or whatever. But they don't have kind of an expansive look at what it means to be in one of the stages. So what I did is I developed what I call eight criteria or things to look at. And two of them are really um, about where have you progressed? And one is the revenue. And as we were describing, if you're under me and I kind of put you, it's not perfect by any means, but if you're under me and you're kind of in development from one up towards 10, you know, you're into the growth. Um, and when you start getting into 15, 20, boy, you know, you're moving. I mean, things are happening. So you're probably in the takeoff stage. Um, and then, as I say, the later part up to about 50 million, you know, you're in the expansion stage. So that's the revenue criteria. It's not a thing you do. It's a result of what you've done. Right. right? right. So it's a measure. The other kind of measure, um, and it's it's more amorphous, is sustainability. And it's part of the thing you're talking about. 
you don't get tripped up while you know and find yourself nearing bankruptcy because you've spent too much money even though you had enough you just didn't manage it well or you just don't have enough customers you know to really drive the business that sort of thing yeah and and a key to sustainability is what i'd call a going concern there's a point in time where the owner or the ceo can step back and the thing can run itself Right. And that going concern starts to happen when you're more towards the takeoff stage. You know, you've really got the thing organized in that. And the nice part about that is then you probably become sellable. Yeah. We're in your, you, you know this from being a banker. You know, you, you can be in the sellable mode. So those are the first two criteria. Any, any thoughts you've got on those two? Yeah, I, I think the last one there is is critical. I, I think um, what we said about encouraging owner, founder, entrepreneurs to think about the vision of where they want to go. Why are they building this thing? Why are they starting this company? Where do they want to go? And for a lot of people, they do say, I want to hit a certain level and then I want to be able to exit with selling the business. Yeah. And um, so the question is, all right, fine. Number one, you know, what does that take? What kind of value are you going to have to create to make it attractive to be sold? And most importantly, buried in all that is that idea of, are you independent of the business? Exactly. Is, is that business reliant on you to turn the screws every day? Because if it is, you're not sellable. And I, I use the sad example of a very dear friend of mine who was a lifelong veterinarian. He built a huge, wonderful practice, you know, 30, 35, 40 years, I think, as a veterinarian and had this wonderful following. Well, when he was ready to retire, he couldn't sell it because he was the business. True. I mean, he had technicians, he had he had assistants, he had office staff, he had procedures, he had systems, had a facility, all of that, but none of it was saleable because when he left, the business left. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a sad plight for the, that solopreneur that thinks you're building a business because you've got all these people and all this activity going on, but you really got to look at that question. Can I walk away and it still operate and produce value without me? Yeah. And, and it's critical uh, to think really, what is my purpose for getting in this business? Right. And if your purpose is I'd like to make quite a bit of money and sell it at the end, then you can't run it as a lifestyle business. You know, no, you're going to have to no. think beyond that. Right. If if your idea is, hey, I just want to, you know, it's kind of like a job for me. It's a place to go and do things and that, but I love to do a lot of other things, you know, that work-life balance and all that. Um, okay, that's fine. You know, you might be a growth, but don't be expecting much money, you know, at, at the end. You know, right. It, right. it's already provided you, you know, as, as you go along. Right. It's that it's that that wealth you may build is going to be a function of how you manage your money along the way because there's not going to be the big payday for you flipping the business to somebody. Yeah, and what a you know we can talk about it, but valuations uh, become particularly important in the takeoff stage. In the growth stage, I don't really chat with people much about their values. 
But the one thing is you do have to, I mean, my accounting background, I don't like accounting. I hate to say it, but I don't want to be an accountant and do all that detail, even though I spent a fair amount of time, you know, taking the courses and that. But you do have to know, you know, what the numbers are and what they mean and what they represent. And right. earnings, particularly EBITDA, you know, is a really good criteria for value in a business. So that's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Right. And as you start to grow the business, if you're thinking about selling it, you got to keep track of your EBITDA because many times your business will sell as a multiple of EBITDA. So, and revenue can be used as well. Sometimes you hear one times revenue and that, but for small business in particular, EBITDA is it's a form of your cash generation your ability to you know, produce money. Right. So it's it's a, a factor if you are thinking about, hey, I really want to sell this business and make some money down the road, watch your EBITDA. Yeah, good point. Well, Lane, I think it's time, speaking of making money, I need to insert a commercial break here so uh, I can uh, have my sponsors come in. But uh, folks, hang with us. We've got a lot more to explore in this four-stage business model. We're going to be right back after this short message. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. You are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my guest today is Lane Sloan, and we are talking about his four-stage growth model for business. And before the break, we talked about uh, some criteria for helping determine which stage you might be in. We talked about two of them before the break, but Lane, uh, let's let's dive into the other six. Well, this is part of my academic background. <laughs> it's part of working with a big business and it's part of working with a lot of small business. Uh, but I've got six criteria that I think are pretty important. And the first two, not surprisingly, are how does the business run? Is it efficient and effective, cost effective? And there's really kind of two things that go into that. One is the organization itself. Who does what and why do they do it? And what are their competencies? And how can you further build that out? And so while some people don't like Google organization charts anymore, you really do need to know who's doing what and why they're doing it. And uh, do I need some backup if things go wrong and so forth? So organization is one of the fundamental things, and it's an internal thing, how effective are you going to be? And if I may interject on that, one of the critical things that comes to my mind is for, for entrepreneurs who've come out of that development or startup phase, as you start thinking about adding people, it's very tempting to add family and friends to the mix because you usually the first thought that goes through your mind, I can trust them. They'll, they get me, they know me, I know them, they'll do what I need them to do, and they'll do it cheap. <laughs> they'll do it for well, possibly less than market in many cases. 
But woe be to most, that's usually not a good long-term answer by any means because they don't have the full capacity to fill a full box on that org chart. That's that competency issue that I was bringing out. You know, you got to find, you hear it a lot of times, get get the right people in the right seats. Yeah. The second uh, thing, which is very complementary to organization, are processes. And of course, I got an IT background and all that, and we dealt with processes at the Gazoo. I mean, that, that's what programs do is they run processes. Um, in fact, that's one way to get a little cheaper process is to have a computer program do it for you. But uh, processes are how things get executed. So uh, if you don't have good processes, what you're going to find is you're going to have a lot of hiccups along the way reworks and, and just confusion in terms of what's going on and why did that happen well i don't know you know often you know it gets said but a process um can go all the way from uh something that is rather you know just drawn on a board to something much more sophisticated the bigger you get and usually what i recommend with for people and we did it all the time at shell i mean it sounds funny a big corporation like that but, you know, we'd start with the whiteboard. We'd say, okay, yep. let's start all over. You know, we've been running this business. Here's the way we've been running it. If we're going to be competitive, we're going to have to keep improving these processes to be ahead of our competitors. Because many times, and folks don't think about it, processes can be a real differentiator for you. And they can also feed into your value proposition. I mean, we get things done faster. That's a value proposition, right? And so forth. So I, I, you know, it's it's a term that isn't familiar to some others. You know, get it, you know, just cold turkey. But I'd really, you know, recommend people thinking about that and mapping where they're at. Well, and what also comes to my mind relative to process is process can impact your margin. If you're big time process is not efficient, you're spending a lot more money producing your output. And that has a huge impact on your margin. If if you're only making a nickel for every dollar you spend uh, putting it together, that's not a real high margin. And, you know, if that's the business you're in, okay. But in most cases, we're looking for a lot healthier margin than that. And process is one way to get there. Well, think about, uh, you know, in banking and, and uh, mortgage lending. I mean, when I first bought my house, it took forever, you know, to get that yeah. mortgage. And today, you you know, you can basically go online and, and the thing spits out pretty darn quickly. Right. If you can't do that as a bank, you're not in the mortgage lending business anymore. I that's mean, correct. That, that's just yep. how things keep changing. Right. And uh, so that acceleration of... Uh, you know, time and quality and all those things, the expectations of customers out there has grown substantially. And I'll talk a little bit about that on, on some of the other processes or some of the other criteria. So anyway, that those two kind of knit together. Yep. Um, and then there's the other side of the equation. And that is, what is your target market? When people start off, all they're trying to find is someone who bought, will buy. <laughs> they don't think about, you know, I've got a particular type customer in mind, and that customer fits these kind of criteria, 
And if you put those together, you really got a potential marketplace. And if I'm smart about it, I can, you know, zero in on that marketplace. Usually, and there's a, um, one of the things I used to teach uh, with the Tracy Wearsman model in my strategy courses. And Tracy Wearsma was the next level of sophistication. Uh, up until that point, it used to be cost or quality were the differentiators. And so early textbooks, that's kind of what you saw. Tracy Wearsma came along and said, no, no, you know, the world's changing. And there's kind of three different models out there that they had. Um, one of the models was based on value. And their, their notion of value came from all the things we've just been talking about, really effective processes, et cetera. I can deliver things in a way that's, Walmart was the perfect example of somebody who really honed in on giving that value to the customer. Then there was those folks and, uh, you know, it's like Intel inside. Intel's not doing quite so well today, but for many, many years, uh, you know, if you bought a computer, what did it say? Intel inside product leadership was what that was all about. You right. know? Um, the uh, shoes, Michael Jordan, you know, it was shoes sort of thing. Uh, boy, I have to have one of those so I can jump higher. And I have a, a little nephew that bought so many shoes to be a good basketball player. <laughs> you know, he was sold on the differentiation you know, that, that they uh, provided. And then the one that has probably been more interesting is customer intimacy. And that's just really understanding the problems of your customer and solving those problems. And so what uh, Michael, I mean, what uh, the three state or their uh, process basically, uh, the Tracy model uh, said was, you ought to be really good in one and, you know, be at least, uh, reasonable on the other two. That that was what they'd advocate. So you need a target market. You can't be product leadership and at the same time customer intimate and at the same time, you know, add uh, value, you know, really be good value. So that was their uh, approach to it. And I thought that, that's a pretty good way. So I was really a big fan of that. Um, some of the more recent high-tech uh, models have kind of been a different version. But for the basic business, those three, you know, kind of elements made a lot of sense. So that gets into what is my value proposition? So first, I got to know my target market, and then I got to have an understanding of what is the value proposition. Right. <clears throat> the bad news or maybe good news is change is accelerating and it's becoming more chaotic and i mean we're we're just in a changing environment and what tracy wearsma thought in the beginning was dominate one and then the other two be okay and that's what walmart did just to knock things you know out of the park and uh you know home depot did the same thing very early on for customer intimacy and then they got caught by lowe's and that but you know, it, it was a pretty um, interesting approach to say I can dominate one. Today, it takes more. And if you're really gonna win the game, you probably got to lead with one and then have a really close second following. So you've got a more expansive value proposition. Yeah. But even to think in those terms and to know where you're at and why you're there and what kind of customer I'm trying to get, 
huge and marketing becomes an integral component of all that. So that's the one, get the revenue in the door. How do I do that? I got to know the market I'm after and I got to know the value proposition that differentiates me from my competition. Yeah. And as I, I sit here and I listen to all that, number one, I, I very much agree with you, but I'm also thinking about the, the guy that's out there, guy or gal that's trying to run a business and build a business their head would be swimming trying to think about how do I attack all of that? How do I figure all of that out? You don't start there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the idea of the different stages. Right. And so um, I've written several little articles. I've got a, a blog, uh, you know, on the uh, website that you built for me, uh, which I appreciate very much, but it has these articles are there. And uh, what I've done is try to describe in words what it looks like if you're at a different stage. And uh, definitely, if you're in the development stage, don't worry about what I just said about the where's me model. But if you're sitting there and take off, you really need to kind of have a pretty good understanding of that. Well, and I think all of that, 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 that transition or migration into those stages is, 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 uh, is exactly the point I was trying to make at the start, that it, it is a burden on the owner founder to be growing as the business grows, you know, widen, open up your lens of um, sensitivity to the challenges and the scope and if you don't understand one of these things or have no experience in assessing or working through some of these problems that's the very time to go out and find an advisor find a a, a consultant a coach somebody that can help you work through those things get you up to whatever speed you need to be in that area so that you can then position to keep moving. If again, to your original point, if that's your desire, if, if you're truly trying to keep this business progressing through various stages of growth, that yeah, the inevitable point is you as the owner founder are going to have to grow with it. Well, that leads to the last two criteria. Um, and they're, they're kind of uh, overview. They're what makes the rest of it happen. And here's where you really sort of think about the owner and the role that he plays. The first one is planning. We've talked a little bit about planning, but if you aren't planning, it's very hard to get where you want to go. Uh, one of the things I coach people on, it's not just I got a budget for this year. It's what's my next stage going to look like? Where am I moving towards? And uh, people who do long-range planning often forget what I'll call the mid-range. Oh, I want to be a big company someday. Well, that's a neat goal, but you can't get there if you don't go through steps. And uh, so knowing what those steps are is absolutely crucial. And part of that is uh, what I'll call critical success factors. In the short term, you're, de you're dealing with uh, key success indicators, you know, um, on how to run the business. And many of those are financial or whatever. But critical success factors say, what is it that I need to achieve to get to that next stage? 
And that's why this four-stage growth model helps because you look at each of the criteria and where am I short? I, I suggest to people go through and you know put a red where you just, you know, you don't have it, you're not that good. Put a yellow where, hey, I'm making progress on it, but I wouldn't say, you know, I'm over the goal line and green where, you know, you feel pretty comfortable about it. So on each criteria, you mark your success and you can see kind of this little picture of, you know, where you've got some spots that need to be worked. And that's where you need to plan more, right? So planning is not just a short-term sort of thing. It's all-encompassing. And I don't want people, you know, to get too enamored with, um, I got to be doing long-term planning all the time, you know, but you do need to set a time, aside some time to do long-term planning at some point, and even more time to do that midterm that I was talking about on how am I going to get to the next stage. Mm -hmm. And I just find that the ones who have trouble getting out of the growth stage can't get planning, you know, in their mindset. So, you know, they just kind of think that somehow it's all going to happen naturally. And therefore, they don't recognize their shortcomings. They don't recognize what needs to happen to go to the next stage and so forth. Yeah. So planning is really key. But what drives that? And that's my favorite thing, leadership. You know, because the farther up you go, the more you really need to be good at leading people. And I've got a whole bunch of things we could talk about sometime about leadership. But leadership to me is the real catalyst that causes one to move through the different stages. You got to be strong enough to sometimes admit I'm not the one. I don't have the competency in this area. Go bring someone else in. I'm not the one I need to delegate down or whatever. I am the one to say, hey, here's my thought on the vision, but I incorporate others to get them excited about it and where we're going. And all. leadership is just absolutely the catalyst. So that's kind of the eight different criteria. Well, one of the things that comes to my mind again, and I'm not sure exactly which phase this gets into it's clearly well beyond development and and probably in the latter part of growth when the owner founder is feeling a little uh, i guess i'll use the word confident they're they're happy with their results they feel some coin in their pocket so to speak so the business is producing and, and there is a return there there is some financial success happening I've had several clients over the last couple of years who kind of hit that point. And rather than, I'll call it doubling down on the business they've got and doing some of these more mature processes and steps, what they'll do, they'll get excited about thinking about, well, I'm going to branch out. I'll go buy another business or I'll, I'll get into a different ball game or I'll, I'll, it's complimentary to what I'm doing. So I'm going to go create this thing. I'll call it a subsidiary and I'm going to, and I, in every case, I've had to challenge them and say, you're not done yet <laughs> on the business you started with. You, you haven't perfected process. You haven't laid out all of the, procedures. You are still doing too much in your business day by day. You know, you, you haven't replicated yourself in this model and, you know, sorry, but no, you're not ready for that diversion of attention. Yeah. I mean, I have seen that 
And the unfortunate part is it's really hard to tell somebody you're going to have difficulties um, because that new business you're bringing on, you need to do all the same things to cause it to grow. All over again. Yeah. All over. And so instead of having, you know, one business to really concentrate and move forward, you, you, you're doing this in multiple steps. And back in the 60s, you might have remembered conglomerates were a big thing. You don't find conglomerates today. They cannot compete. It's yeah. very difficult. GE is kind of the last horizon of a you know significant conglomerate and it's just not a workable thing and the reason is the very thing that you talked about you take your mind off what's going to cause you to be successful in your current business now i don't want to say you may not want to acquire someone if they're in the same business you are that's a pretty good thing to do you know to jump start yourself ahead particularly if they're bringing areas that you're not as good at and vice versa you're complementary Good thing. Um, but the thing you were talking about, and I, I've got an individual in mind that, you know, this is her problem exactly. Um, she was in the plumbing business and went out and bought kind of a beer-related business. And I figure that, you know, but she said, well, beer-related businesses are, are coming. You know, they're a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine that that's going to be, you know, a true uh, success. She may be able to make it work, but that doesn't mean you're going to be dynamic and really grow. Right. So, yeah, you've really hit, I mean, you've hit on an important one, and that is to be too confident in what you think you know. Well, and I, I think about the words that Jim Collins presented in his Good to Great. You know, he said, he called it the hedgehog concept, you know, figure out your core value proposition. You know, what are you good at delivering? And you know, double down on that, but don't start, you know, glomming on these arguably complementary services unless you're, 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 you know, unless there's a real compelling case. Now, as soon as I say all that, somebody's listening here and probably going to write in the comments, yeah, but what about Amazon? Look what Jeff Bezos did. Well, I would argue Amazon is a whole different story, and it's it's a, possibly a one-in-a-generational kind of story. And if if you want to be the next Jeff Bezos, God love you, go for it. But but there's a there's a very specific programmatic blueprint that he followed to go where he is now, or they are now. So you know, he had a hedgehog concept. He did. I mean, it was a um, intriguing one in that it was displacing people, right? But he was an integrator. You know, he really brought things together. He did not go and develop all those separate businesses. He no. connected them. And right. he connected them through a platform. Well, that was no different than what Dell did. You know, when right. he went out and said, okay, you know, you can buy me online. Yeah. And it was a major step forward. Amazon was just the next generation of right. Dell, in my right. opinion. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, interesting thing is I, I've uh, invested in businesses and, you know, kind of feel, hey, I've, I've got a pretty good thing to look at. So many of them fail. I mean, what you think is a, you know, really good idea. It's just amazing to me, you know, that whole 80% fail, 20%, you know, successful. And to really be successful, you know, like an Amazon, it 
one in a whatever million. So yeah, well, and and again, I go back to my banking observation, and mine was a very unscientific study, but it was reality nonetheless. As companies I watched go through these stages of growth, there was inevitably a point in time, and it, you could put a clear marker on the calendar when the owner founder made a choice or failed to make a choice that allowed them to go to the next step. And it, and as the company had momentum and kept moving that direction, if, if the founder owner didn't make that shift and, and get on board with what was necessary, it, it became a, a roadblock to the, the inevitable, you know, growth of the business. And just because a business has created momentum, it will not sustain without the right kind of direction from that owner founder. Yeah, there's two components that go into that. Are the ones I've seen, they don't want to lose control. You right. know, they're confident in themselves and what they can do. They have done it. They got the business that far. But the second is their ability to take risk. You know, right. if you're really wanting to grow, you are going to have to take some risks. Right. And some of that may involve, I'm going to borrow some money so I can go buy this other entity, you know, that's going to further expand me. And boy, there's all kinds of risk in that, right? Culture, complementariness, and all that kind of thing, you know, starts to evolve out of that. But if you got the mindset, and I've, I've got some folks I work with, it's just amazing. They can do that, you know. No problem at all. <laughs> they have no heartburn, and they know where they need to go, et cetera. And there's just the others. They wring their hands and credit. I, you know, I, I just I'm not comfortable with doing that. Yeah, I've uh, it. It is. It's it's that risk factor. I'm I'm dealing with a client right now who um, is able to take home a seven figure paycheck every month, but the company needs some expansion of core team and i've talked to him in terms of and i've shown him and drawn out a plan if he would agree to invest three hundred thousand a year in new staffing just to do some core functions that are pretty direct pretty specific um, he could free up probably half of his day every day and I've said, you know, 300,000, you know, look, let's, let's make it a relative, you know, game here. You're taking home seven digit paychecks every month and you're worried about spending $300,000 <laughs> to give you this flexibility. And I said, with that kind of flexibility, if you got half of your day back every day, how much more money could you see this business making? Could you make a new $3 million a year on that kind of time availability? He said, oh, I think I'd make a lot more than that. And I said, then the multiple's already 10x. <laughs> you invested 300000 to hire these people, and you tell me you can make $3 million easy. That's a 10x already. Yeah. And what kind of investment is going to give you that? But has he done it? No, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I just say for some people, it's almost their inherent personality characteristics. They just, that sense of losing control, you know. Right. And, and the key aspect is to know where you can make a difference. Right. You know, leadership, I'm heavy into strength-based leadership. Know what your strengths are. Know what other 
people's strengths are. That's how you build a team, right? Right. And and there's ways of assessing that, you know, right. and, and it's it's not difficult. But once you know, hey, this person just is better at that. I mean, if you've got a mathematical genius and you're trying to solve a math problem, you know, don't get everybody together and say, okay, let's see if we can do it. Go go ask him, you know, how, what's the answer? Right. And so that's the kind of thing that um, is all about leadership, right? Getting to the point that person you're talking to, you know, really, I think a lot more about leadership and his role and where he can play the most effective. Right. Yep. Well, Lane, I think we need to wrap this up. This has been phenomenal and it's uh, definitely been everything I had hoped for. And so I want to say thank you for doing this. If um, people want to get a hold of you directly, what's the best way to do that? Well, Sloan Consulting at AOL.com will get you to me um, or Sloan Consulting Services at gmail.com will get me. Or you can go on my website, www.sloanconsultingservices.com that Mr. Doug built for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a side venture, folks, by the way. Um, but anyway, well, Lane, we'll have all that information in the show notes, folks. And one last time, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Really appreciate it. No, glad to be here. And folks, I this is the point of the show. I want to remind everybody, if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video of this episode over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, check out the video collection and archives we've got. We have a lot coming at you. We're dropping shows three times a week. We've got more great guests, just like Lane, that'll be uh, joining in. I've got a number of great shows that have already been uh, recorded, and they're coming out soon. So hang with us, and uh, I do want to thank everybody for spending a minute to um, uh, hear this uh, news about the fourth stage of business growth. And if you got questions, check your show notes. And for now, we're going to say goodbye, have a great day, and hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.